Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. <laughs> I'm in your office. Yes, you are. I have a song for you. Okay. Two blind mice. <laughs> two blind mice. <laughs> it's an inside joke. <laughs> yes, we we both don't really have our reading glasses, so <laughs> uh, it's really bad. I tried to do a prenatal on my computer, you know, uh, putting the information in on my computer, and it was like ridiculous. I'm like, I can't do this. I know. I, can't see I know. Getting older sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But what doesn't suck is spending a weekend with my family. Yes. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then driving up this morning to Santa Barbara. Beautiful drive. Beautiful, beautiful day. Yeah. Gorgeous mm-hmm. day. No traffic. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are together in your beautiful office in Santa Barbara. Great. Yeah, I like it here. I'm glad you're here with me. It's always fun when we get to record together. And just so people know, if they're coming to see Bliss, there is a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> he parked on the street. I parked on the street. I'm like, there's a big parking oh, lot. Oh, man. It's a, yeah, it's a really nice parking lot. <laughs> Should we talk about parking lots? No. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. But we can talk a little bit about um, weddings. Yeah. Celebration. One of the nicest weddings. Really? Yeah. Very small. My stepson got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, his new wife is amazing. Lovely person. And her family is amazing. And that way it was just really intimate at a little restaurant here in LA called the little beast. Mm -hmm. They put on a nice show for us. Mm. And um, the speeches were lovely. The, the feeling in the room was lovely. It's nice to see (laughs) a room full of people who come from different walks of life. A lot of us are divorced (laughs) to be at a wedding where there's so much love in the room. It was mm. just really, really sweet. Yeah, I love that. And I learned something new about my daughter. Yeah. My daughter is a robot. <laughs> what do because, you mean? Because she can drink and dance for so many hours <laughs> without ever growing tired. She's like the Energizer Bunny. I'm, Youth. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm wowed by her and my son, Max, and my new daughter-in-law, Jessie. And oh, and and then Alex and Haley were here with my granddaughter mm. was here, and uh, just Mila. yep, yeah. And Andy and Lauren were here, and uh, Lauren caught the bouquet, so that could be something that's coming up next. <laughs> it, you know, it was just it was just a lovely, lovely weekend because Thanksgiving we were all together too, same group. That's awesome. Um, it's all things must come to an end, unfortunately, because we were talking about that this morning. Uh, my daughter got on an airplane this morning and and uh, I was talking with Sandy and we, we were talking about how, um, yeah, it's just too bad. We just didn't want the weekend to end. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, you guys will be together again soon, I'm sure. Some new celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get everybody together. Yeah. But that was really nice. I hope everybody else had a, obviously it's, it's almost Christmas time by the time this comes out. And <laughs> oh shit! We're still wishing people, we're still wishing people Thanksgiving, but uh, that's great. Um, what what about you? Uh, it was a thank goodness because I've had a few weeks where I just felt a little overwhelmed. This week I I was able to kind of catch up. 
um, just like, you know, feeling rested and not running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So that was lovely. And um, I wasn't around family, which was a little bit bittersweet. I mean, there's some family I don't really want to be around, <laughs> but I do miss my boys terribly. So, um, but they're coming for Christmas. So that's something to look forward to. That's not far away. Yeah. When this podcast comes out, it'll be a, a week a away. Week. Yeah. So, um, so I'm back on your couch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice to be back. And, you know, today's topic is not a topic that's joyous. We're going to talk a little bit about miscarriage, pregnancy, your pregnancy loss, mm -hmm. different euphemism for the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, spontaneous abortion is another one. They're all the, they all mean the same thing. Yeah, I, I like pregnancy loss. Pregnancy loss thing. seems yeah. better. Mm -hmm. Right. You're right. Because I have heard women talk about like the term miscarriage um, makes them feel like they they've something done wrong. something wrong. Right. Their body has done something wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually miss means, let's see, misinformation, <laughs> misconception. <laughs> it means wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong carriage. Yeah, mm -hmm. wrong. It probably means wrong. And it, it isn't wrong because it's nature's way of taking care of something that is a natural process that happens sometimes. But we know that it's right. hard for people. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but before we do that, we got to, we got to catch up on some current yeah. events and dumb things. Yeah, well, some dumb things. Um, just recently, remember we talked a little bit in the flu episode about Tamiflu and remdesivir. Yep. Somebody sent me a direct message about Tamiflu mm -hmm. that, you know, because we didn't really get into the pros and cons of Tamiflu. We didn't. Tamiflu is obviously a, a pharmaceutical product and people understand that I'm not a big fan of what the pharmaceutical industry does. And I usually take a deeper dive into things. Didn't really take a deep dive into Tamiflu. Mm -hmm. This other person did. So I did pull off the package insert. Awesome. Uh, from Tamiflu and just looked at the pregnancy where it's pregnancy category C, which means that there are insufficient human data upon which to have an evaluation of the risk of Tamiflu to pregnant women or the developing fetus. Which is the same as a vaccine. Yes. I mean, it's not class C necessarily, yeah. but it's the same thing we don't have And vaccines data. don't have to go through the same sort of uh, testing that Surprise. a pharmaceutical Surprise. product does. Mm -hmm. uh, but when people say it's safe in pregnancy, that's one of those things where they're just saying it because they've used it so many times and they haven't seen a bad outcome. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not bad outcomes. Right. So you have to, so it's it's one of those things, like they say in the nursing mothers, it says in lactating rats, this medicine, uh, they're excreted in the milk. It is not known whether this medicine, they've got the, the official names of them, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, mm -hmm. is excreted in human milk, but you should assume it is. Mm-hmm. Tamiflu should therefore be used only if the potential benefit for the lactating mother justifies the potential risk to the breastfed infant. So again, if somebody, they talked about in that episode, we talked about how the organized medicine suggests that anyone who gets the flu should immediately get on Tamiflu. Uh -huh. And we talked about, well, maybe that's not the smartest thing to do. Right. But that's the typical default position of organized medicine is to immediately medicate you, except when it got came to COVID, in which they told you, don't take anything until you get really, really sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so just the thing about Tamiflu, I want people to understand 
that we did talk about it, did mention it. I've taken it in the past. I've never been pregnant, so I don't know if it crosses in my breast milk. But <laughs> um, And I've never taken Tamiflu uh, or given it to my children. So there are other ways to handle the flu unless, like we said, it was a severe case. And then you should get some support. And then I have a couple things uh, for direct messages. And you have something you want to read as well. But I just want to say that I was listening to uh, a podcast on the drive up here today. And one of the things that came up in the podcast was this term, the common good. Mm-hmm. You know how we talked about to err on the side of caution and mm-hmm. we went, we decided dissected that. Mm-hmm. So there's always this thing about restricting your freedoms um, for the benefit of the common good. And that was kind of the slogan that came out with get your vaccine for the common good, or we're going to restrict speech for the common good, or we're going to do this. But then it gets down to that basic question of, who decides exactly what the common good is? Exactly. Is the common good to not have free speech because somebody might be offended? Or is it better to have free speech, let people get offended? I mean, I I it's that's a rhetorical question. I already, <laughs> I, I already, I already know the answer to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the same thing goes on. In, you know, I extrapolate that when I hear these things to medicine as well. And and to uh when they say that, you know. There's an old saying that says the the by Albert Camus, the French philosopher, that goes, the welfare of humanity is always the alibi of tyrants. And they're always telling you you need to do this for your for your own good. And that comes up with like the dead baby card and the and the coercion that goes on at the hospital is always for the for the for the common good or for the betterment of your baby. And it and it it's a tyrannical way of getting people to do something. You shouldn't have to coerce them to do stuff it should be fairly obvious and whenever somebody in power tells you that we're doing these things we're limiting your freedoms or we're restricting your activity or we're mandating safety for the common good beware buyer beware okay that's it that's just okay it. that's okay <laughs> okay i wrote that on the back of a parking stuff a parking stuff while you were driving while i was driving in my car right I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a chance to like do my usual prep sheet. Yeah, you had a busy weekend. So what do you got? This is, this is for the topic. Oh, when we get there. Okay. So then I got a couple things. One was a real short one. Um, I made a post on Instagram uh, quoting Peter McCullough, guy that's a cardiologist that talks a lot about um, the damage from COVID and the COVID vaccine on heart muscle. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I, linked him or what do you call it when you when you tag when i tagged him Mm -hmm. on my post i got a warning from instagram saying that he posts um uh that he does not follow community guidelines (laughs) you're like good yeah so (laughs) so that's exactly right so um somebody uh, somebody let's see this is from jenna on instagram and she said that yes my friend in florida showed me three maybe four page letter she got oh first of all she referred um this guy to some of her friends and they all said well they got a warning whenever they tried to follow him on instagram Mm -hmm. wow so um but a a friend of hers in florida showed me three maybe four page letters she got from her pediatrician's office uh for not vaccinating her middle and high school age children she got fired from their practice yeah for doing that Mm. and i said lucky lucky you lucky them (laughs) um it's the same sort of thing. This kind of stuff, this 
the the real misinformation is accepted. And then when a pediatrician's office says you can't come here because you choose not to take this pharmaceutical product, first of all, that's a violation of every ethical standpoint they can possibly have, unless they're completely brain well, they're they're completely brainwashed. But because they're supposed to take care of everybody. Right. Right. And give informed consent, especially with something that may cause harm. Right. Yeah. But what I would like to do is I would like to find out the name of this practice and I would like to put it out there for people and they should and they should have people leaving that practice or even standing in front on a legal sidewalk in front of the practice, making them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this many times before. The time to be sweet to these idiots is over. It, the time to stand up and be forceful and make them uncomfortable is here. Yes. It reminds me as you were um, talking about that, that this week there's, there's one pediatrician in this area that's more holistic. And um, she actually accepts SEMCAL, which is like Medi-Cal um, and which is unusual to have an alternative healthcare provider who accepts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good, good for her any insurance and yeah. But so I, I, uh, I referred my clients and she said, I will have to um, sit down and do an interview with them, even though their baby has, is, was already born um, because their SENCAL has um, requirements for vaccinations. Wait, say that again. They, they, they have requirements. You mean if, if you don't get vaccinated, you can lose your insurance? I don't know exactly what that means, but it means that if you have this public insurance state provided insurance that they have certain requirements in terms of vaccination. So I can ask her a little bit more or ask them because they're going to sit down and talk with her about it. But, you know, so this, this young family who's low income has to either not use their insurance so that they're not being tracked and monitored about whether or not they're doing these vaccines or they have to follow what the state is telling them to do crazy right yeah that was purposeful silence there on my part that that is california <laughs> and you know what it's coming from it's coming from that the insurance companies and and the government are all getting bribed by the pharmaceutical company but to, it just sh also this. shows you that these families who you know well the poor always low income yeah, are getting terrible care most of the time i mean not this particular they're always the ones but... that are getting f the most Oh yeah, just 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 by the the rising price of food or or, or gasoline. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody who makes a lot of money, it's it's nothing to them. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's living on the edge, it's everything to them. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But this but this is crazy. Well, they, they unfortunately that what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to have their children uh, find a way to pay for their children outside of the insurance. Right. And otherwise, they're they're going to children are going to be forced to take a medical product which that product then has no legal liability. Mm -hmm. They don't do any research or maybe they do it on 10 mice, but they don't do it on humans. They're not held accountable. They never do randomized placebo, double-blinded placebo controlled trials. They put out a product. We talked about this so many times in the podcast recently mm -hmm. about all the, you know, all the vaccines on the schedule. And then now women are supposed to get, four shots and six vaccines while they're pregnant and there'll be more 
because they're working on one for um, CMV, which yeah. I'm sure is that one will come out. They'll then now ACOG will then support that one too as as they get money in their bank account uh, put in place. And listen, I'm I'm sitting here right today, and again, I am challenging anybody from who's a true believer of ACOG who thinks that ACOG is the best thing since sliced bread to come on a podcast with me or come in a live forum with me or come to a conference, sit on a stage with 200 people and we'll have a conversation about where you're coming from versus where I'm coming from because I've had it. <laughs> We're waiting for a challenge accepted by someone. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm growing older by the minute waiting. No, it, it, I'm, I'm serious. I know. I'm serious. Frank Churbanak, Amos Grunbaum, you know, lower yourself to come on the <laughs> come on the stage with me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, you got no, some uh, other the, stuff. I got me? one more. Yeah, okay. I got one more thing here. Okay. Um, this is another sort of dilated kidney story, <laughs> <laughs> only not as stupid as the one we talked about, where the woman had all these things told to her and done to her. For, for a value that was actually normal. Right, exactly. People remember that from a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is from Sarah T on Instagram. She says, hi, Dr. Stewart. Ooh, very formal. <laughs> I've been looking for information to help me learn more about your podcast. Oh, and your podcast was recommended. I'm 21 weeks pregnant. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> He's putting on the one pair of glasses we have. Putting on his glasses. And I'm currently under OB care. But I've learned through the topics discussed on your podcast that my values don't line up with my OB. Good. Right. It's good to know that. You can invite your OB on the podcast. I'll happy to talk to him too. They rotate me through seven doctors. So I, quote, know who will deliver my baby, unquote. <laughs> Not very well. Right. But do I really know them? Right. No. That was her saying, though, not mm -hmm. me. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I fall somewhere in between midwives and OB care. I'm hoping you could point me in the right direction because I feel stuck. I am wanting to birth in a hospital as we do live rurally north of Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm wanting the option for pain medication if I feel I need it. Is there an option for midwife care in the hospital to deliver my baby who will be supportive of the epidural? If so, how do I locate someone in Des Moines? And then she says, I went for my 20-week anatomy scan, and they said everything looked great other than the baby had bilateral pyelectasis. They did not tell me much about this or what the potential treatment is. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me just digress for a second. Pyelectasis is a term for slightly dilated renal pelvises, which we talked about what pelvises mean. Mm -hmm. It's this little collecting area of the kidney where there's urine, and it should be less than a certain number of millimeters. I think it's three and a half or four at 20 weeks. And when it's mildly dilated and there's no other finding in the face of a normal NIPT or no other finding, the likelihood that this isn't associated with any sort of anatomical or chromosomal abnormality is extremely small and almost always resolves. Okay. But they didn't tell her that. They just told her she has dilated kidneys. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell her what the treatment is. There is no real treatment. You don't, you just have to wait. All they said was I was to come back for an ultrasound at 32 weeks to see if it's cleared up. Mm -hmm. I, so, I have a client right now that this exact scenario happened. I'm sure everybody listening probably knows somebody mm -hmm. too. All right. So this is the um, don't think about elephants comment. All right. 
you have a 20 week ultrasound. They find nothing wrong except these mildly dilated kidneys. And they tell you to come back in 12 weeks. That's hard. So what are you thinking about for 12 weeks? Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the most of the times it resolves. Oh, and that most of the time it resolves be- itself before then. Other than that, it was me and Google to learn about it. I remember you saying, quote, only order a test if the results will possibly change your management. Very good. Unquote. Yay. Yes. Right. Love it. Is this 32-week ultrasound really necessary? Or again, just obese scamming the system? If I don't get this scan, what testing symptoms after baby is born do we look for? The fact that I wasn't given any information on it on if it would change the course of treatment is frustrating. Any questions I ask, they also want me to come into the office so they can answer them eye roll. <laughs> so they won't answer her over the phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if they coming to the office means they get to charge for that. I don't know if it's, sure. I don't know how that works with pregnant women and global fees and stuff like that. I'm not sure. I guess there is a code for a, a non-scheduled office visit. I appreciate you taking the time to point me in the direction that fits me best. Keep spreading the information on your podcast. I promise you us young women and are, are listening and it's making a difference. That's nice. So I said, hi, Sarah. I'm unfamiliar with Des Moines birth community, but anybody who is listening who might know can DM me and I'll forward it to Sarah. So I can't be very helpful there. Just ask if there are any hospitals that have midwifery service. And well, I wish- I- and- you want to read that? No, no, I can't read it. So you oh. read it. <laughs> <laughs> it really This is a, not that message. No, oh, okay. Remember, do you remember that from Rocky and Bullwinkle? You probably don't remember that. I remember Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Not yeah. Bullwinkle is, a, and then it said dope. And he's like, not that message. <laughs> oh, never mind. Remember that hospital-based midwives are all are too often handcuffed by obstetric-led policies. Is that what you were going to say? Something like that. And can't really practice independently. Bilateral plylectasis is an isolated finding, has little meaning, and, and does usually resolve. Did they tell you what the actual measurements were? The system itself is often set up to overtest as there is no profit in doing nothing. Whether your individual sonographer is just following orders or intentionally scamming is not easy to discern. From this perspective and not knowing your history and seeing your results, I cannot tell you with any certainty whether a follow-up scan is truly indicated. I hope this helps a little bit. That's great. Right. Um, what I would say about the wanting to deliver in a hospital for pain relief, um, you can always go and get pain relief. So, you know, it, it would, you'd probably get care that's more aligned with what you're desiring by planning to be at a birth center or a um, home birth with with midwives who are not associated with a hospital and know that you can always go in and get pain relief if that's something that you decide to do rather than putting yourself in the system to be able to have access to that um, you might continue to have frustrating situations like the one that you described in your letter so and the way the system will generally, even in a midwifery-led uh, unit inside a hospital, will take care of you while you're pregnant, you're more likely than not, I mean, in labor, you're more likely than not to probably require pain medicine yes. because you won't be able to do some of the things that you're free to do when you're at a birth center or in a home, uh, like move about, get rebozo, get massaged, change positions, rock get on a water. ball, get in the water, get in the shower, 
less stress, which leads to less tension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Standing up, being leaning on your, your partner, uh, you know, breathing together through them, doing some of the things that, you know, maybe taking hypnobirthing or doing some other things that you can do to help distract you during those surges. Um, you, you know, going to be much more difficult in a hospital setting, even in some midwifery led units, just because the poor midwives there are really, um, they're trapped. Right. What, what's the term? It's, um, Armstrong? Yeah. They're stuck <laughs> doing the common good. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yes, I know that was sarcastic. Right. Yeah. The thing, other sarcastic. thing. Sarcastic. <laughs> Me? The other thing I wanted to mention um, that that letter made me think of is that recently I, I have a good relationship with um, an MFM here, Dr. Catherine Sharma in Ventura, and she's really open. She uh, is very supportive for home birth and is really open to like hearing our feedback and and collaborating, which is so lovely because I really missed that with you because I'd send all my clients to get ultrasounds yeah. for you and we could collaborate and I wasn't nervous. And I feel like I'm, I'm receiving that from Dr. Sharma, which is really great. Um, however, she does um, usually tell people offer to people, do you want to come back and do a 32 week ultrasound? And so I just texted her and I said, would you mind with my clients not doing that unless there's a clinical indication to suggest that they come back? And she was like, absolutely, sure. You know, like, I don't mind at all. She's like, what about advanced maternal age? How do we feel about that? And I was like, I don't consider that a risk factor. So yeah, them too. And so, and she was very open to it, which was great. I don't know when, because when I was actively practicing in the hospital setting, there was no 32 week ultrasound. Mm -hmm. I don't know when that became a thing, but mm -hmm. I understand perfectly well why it became a thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously you don't get paid for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So now not only do we need like a 10 week scan, but we need a 20 week scan and now you need a 32 week scan. And of course then the 32 week scan will probably lead to a 36 or 37 weeks. Well, you also yeah. have the 11 week and six day or whatever oh, for the, the nuchal fold the that they're still yeah. doing, even with the NIPT, they have not adjusted. But that. I've not heard the, any data <clears throat> to support the idea that 32 week scans should now become routine. Mm -hmm. Is there data on that? Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> You're asking me about data? Well, I, I thought maybe, know. maybe you, you, maybe you could. Next time you talk to Dr. Sharma, sure. you can ask her. We're going to have dinner. Yeah. So sure. like where where did the 32-week scan <laughs> come in and 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 who decided that? And yeah, I would love to know that. Okay. So Bliss will get back to us. She'll report to us after she has I hope dinner. I don't forget. <laughs> well, I don't think you'll forget now. We're, I'm blind and, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not mindful, like the opposite. Uh, forgetful? Yeah, but there was another word. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I forgot. What, what, what were we talking about? Um, Wait, you have a, you, yeah, so you want to. One more, one more little thing that happened this week. Not a big deal, but uh, I do have a client who I suspect has a breech baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. The problem is there's no choices. <laughs> there's no choices here. There's no choices here. And they're not in the financial position to you know ask you or uh, although i don't think you'd accept these days but um i i can't you know i can't come and be on call 
Well, it, it, I can't come and sit someplace for three weeks. Yeah. That's the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I just got called all of a sudden and I wasn't thinking about it and said, can you come to a breech birth? Yeah. And I had to drive an hour to do it. Yeah, I would do it. Yeah. But part of the reason I moved out of town <laughs> was so I wouldn't have to do that. But you're right. Yeah. You know, I get I get these things every day. I, there's not a day that goes by where I don't hear from a family with twins or a midwife who's got a client with twins or a breach who. Or they, 42 week. You just had that today. Yeah. Or they don't know. They just don't know what the options are. There are no options. There's one doctor who's kind of a jerk. Oh, yeah. Dr. Cole. Oh, right. in hospital, but yeah. there are no out of hospital options, and there are very I'm few just options. Talking about vaginal breach. There yeah. are very few options for twins, and 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 you know there are great options in other states, but a lot of people just can't pick up and go get an Airbnb. Just like I can't pick up and move for three weeks, right? Waiting. A lot of people can't afford to go yeah. move to Phoenix or to Las Vegas, where there are midwives there who are legally doing yeah. and and quite skilled doing yeah. twin birthing. Right. And then the hospitals and the doctors that work at them hospitals, you know, they 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 say things like, you know, having a twin birth out of the hospital is just so dangerous. It's like, yeah, but but you're not offering it in your, your institution. Right. So what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to just go in and get gently be coerced into being uh, being a C-section. Right. And they don't want that. And they don't want that for their babies. They don't want that for themselves. They don't want that for their future pregnancies, which you don't even ask them about. Like, how many more babies do you want? That's never a question that's ever, ever asked. Yeah. Or part of the counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So let's take a little break um, and uh, hear from our sponsors. And then we'll come back and talk about pregnancy loss. Okay. Bliss. What is Element? L-M-N-T. It's a amazing sponsor first of all we love them so much but it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the bs like us that's right <laughs> i taught you well <laughs> it is it, it's got a lot of uh good salts in it and uh no sugar i even uh, took a little notes here and they have um a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium which helps maintain fluid balance regulates your blood pressure and supports muscle function, mood, and bone health. Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor. For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we, before what I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> you have a lot of <laughs> sleep after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes. And I carry it with me whenever I travel and I add it to my water, like in the hotel room and stuff. And I spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms. It's a great sponsor and they've, they've been doing really well and I'm really proud to be um, supporting them. They have multiple flavors. Your favorite uh, is raspberry, right? Raspberry is mine and yours is mango yeah. chili. But I, I do have, I do have some sad news. Aww. So long, old friend, to Lemon Habadero. Oh, man. They discontinued it? So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Elements. I trust that the, uh, they've done a 
deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element, that's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, all one word. And when you do that, you'll get a free sample pack with your every order. Go do it. Go do it. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> I love sitting on your couch. I love having you here. It's a nice, it's a nice space. I'm, I'm feeling very zen. Good. Exactly. Very unprepared for today's podcast, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, very, very zen. Yeah, we're recording on a Monday. We usually record on Wednesdays, but oh, but this Wednesday, which will be two weeks ago, I, <laughs> I am supposed to fly to New York City. Did I tell you why I'm flying to New York City? Yeah, you told me, but not them. Yeah, well, by then it'll be over. <laughs> but uh, I got I got asked to be a guest on The Daily Show with Michelle Wolf, who's co-host or hosting this week. And maybe taking over for good. I don't know. I don't really follow much pop culture, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, they're flying me out there. So when is it aired on Wednesday? I think it might Thursday. Well, it's mm. being recorded Thursday, November 30th, Oh, okay. which happens to be also my daughter's birthday. So I'll be in New York. That's so sweet. And my daughter and her friend get to come to the green room. That's awesome. Me. And uh, pictures for us. I think they want to, she wants to talk about the business of medicine. Um, and it's a very, I think the Daily Show is only thirty minutes long, so I'm not sure how much time we have. But, but they said I'll be the only guest, so I suspect about ten minutes. Better, better yeah. pack it in. I, I know, I know. I, I, I can monologue for three times that. So <laughs> at least. <laughs> so, but it's exciting because I'm going to get exposed to an audience that probably has never heard somebody. Like it's me. very exciting. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so pleased. I, I can't wait to watch. Yeah, and my, uh, and my family said, don't talk politics and i said of course not <laughs> that's good of course that's not good. but i think i think michelle wolf had a home birth which is really the, like mm -hmm. she's got a passion for this we did speak great. on the phone we were actually going to do this last year but then uh, the writer's strike mm -hmm. came so now that the strike is over the writer's actor strikes over mm -hmm. so things are wrapping up again so i'll be just driving i'm driving from here all the way back to Kanab for one night so I can pick out the right clothes. And then I drive to the airport and I fly the next day. Wow. Then I get back. Um, I'll be back Friday. I was going to say, you could probably just go to New York and buy clothes. <laughs> yeah, it never occurred to me. To <laughs> <laughs> It'd be much cheaper. Actually. Yeah, I should probably just fly for, I should probably just fly from LAX. And, well, they got me tickets already. So it's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's done. done. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our listeners are probably like going, all right, get on with it now. <laughs> okay. Talk about your topic. We will, we will. All right. Okay. Right. Go. No, you're, you're, you're starting. <laughs> this is what happens when we get together. We're actually in the same room. So I hope I hope you guys are as giggly and your, your smile muscles are working as much as mine are today because it's really just nice. <laughs> okay. Right. Hi, Bliss. Um, I love the podcast, and I was wondering if you could do an episode about miscarriage. I just had a silent miscarriage and the experience was so intense mentally, physically, and emotionally. I feel like because it is quote unquote common, it is overlooked. You see a miscarriage depicted in movies as someone spotting for one day. It took me over two weeks to fully miscarry. And I was wearing liners the whole time I was spotting and had a natural miscarriage. 
and the waiting was very difficult. If you could talk about the options you um, you have, natural, taking the pill, or how the procedure, the benefits, and the risk of each, I feel like that would be so helpful. I'm in awe of the strength of all the women out there who endure this. If you could also talk about comfort measures that you can take while miscarrying, mine felt like a short version of active labor, and I was surprised by the blood and level of pain. I don't want to make anyone nervous. I just want to shed light on something difficult. Okay. I don't have, I didn't keep a copy you, you of her, her name, name, unfortunately. Okay. No. Well, she probably didn't want her name up there anyway. Yeah. Okay. So miscarriage, uh, pregnancy loss yeah, or spontaneous abortion. Yeah. I don't like the spontaneous. Right. Abortion. Well, they're, again, they're all, they're it's all. It's like a medical way of saying it. You guys yeah, a lot of times. They're all yeah. synonyms. Yeah. Um, so I did my deep dive, but I really don't, I, I don't even have to do the deep dive, but I think I did it because that way I won't forget to say something. But I used to tell people that miscarriage was, as she says, as the listener said, is very common. I used to tell people 20 to 30% of early conceptions will end up miscarrying. The numbers seem to be a bit, little bit less prior to the last year or two, mm -hmm. in which case they're they're up. Yeah. I was, I was always told a third. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I was surprised because I've picked, I've, I've looked into it. And now since there's some question about the spike protein causing more miscarriages and stuff and the numbers being up, a lot of those reports I'm seeing said that the miscarriage rate used to be about 10 or 15%. And now it's higher, but I always thought it was higher myself. Okay. I used to say a third of a third of all conceptions will mis miscarry. Some will miscarry so early that you don't even know that you don't even know you'll be like two days late on your period it'll be a little bit heavier than normal and the only way you would have known that is that uh if you had done um blood pregnancy tests and there was a study done when i was a resident or maybe years shortly after there was a study done where they actually drew blood every month on college women mm -hmm. women in college and they found that there were a lot more of those very yeah. early miscarriages than people thought and that women did not get pregnant just because they happened to sniff some sperm. Okay. <laughs> which, which a lot of young women think there's a term which has nothing to do with miscarriage called fecundity, which is the ability to conceive in any given cycle. And the fecundity of a gerbil or a rabbit is about 99%. Mm -hmm. In other words, every time they ovulate, <laughs> they get pregnant. Uh-huh. But humans, it's much less. And, I, and it, it falls, the more successful the species, the lower your fecundity rate is, which nature is not stupid, as we've said before. Mm -hmm. If we got pregnant every single time, the population would be overwhelming. Right. So the actual fecundity rate, even at peak levels, like say a 22-year-old woman, is only about between 20 and 25% per cycle. Okay. So... If you say, just because it's easier math, say it's 20% per cycle, mm -hmm. and you had 100 college women having unprotected sex each month, you ask the average person, they would probably think that, oh, 80 are going to get pregnant mm -hmm. because they're college women. <laughs> they're having <laughs> lots of sex, mm -hmm. whatever. But that's not necessarily the case. But the actual rate is 20, 20 out of the 100. Mm -hmm. So then you have, in the second month, you have 80 that aren't pregnant 
So 20% of those are 16 more will get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then you have 64 left. And then, so then another 13 will get pregnant. So actually after three months of unprotected sex, more than 50% of young, healthy women with no problem will not be pregnant. And that's normal. Yeah. So this is more of a fertility discussion Mm -hmm. than a, a pregnancy loss discussion, but I want people to understand that. Plus of those 20% that conceive, 20, 30% of those are going to miscarry. Right. And they're going to go back into the other group over here. Right. So the, the 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 conception rate isn't as high as we think, but it's not something to actually be concerned about. And that's why people should not be worried if they if they've been trying for six months and haven't conceived. Don't start panicking. Don't start seeing a fertility specialist. I mean, you can if you're if you're in your 40s or something and, and you feel that biological clock ticking like this did i did i make mess up my microphone no nope. <laughs> <laughs> my microphone has a loose wire so if i bang the table <laughs> if you don't know that uh that quote it's from my cousin Vinny. yeah right <laughs> i think yeah yeah you're right which is a generational thing yeah if you haven't seen it it's really funny movie, it is. so it's you okay. have to see it okay so let me just go through this so we don't miss anything okay so can i can I just tell you what no. I normally tell people? Yes. So I actually had a woman who signed on to come into my care this week and texted me back almost immediately and was like, I'm having some pain. And um, Lindsay Milas and I were going to do co-care because she mostly lives in Orange County. And she said, I'm having some pain. I'm. How do I know if it's an ectopic? And Lindsay told her to go in and, and get an ultrasound. And what they found was... Um, uh, you know, an empty sac, which is basically a blighted ovum. So there's no, there was no um, fetus right. inside, right? So embryo. <clears throat> so um, I talked her through the, you know, the options of like what this woman was talking about. And I just let her know, which I've talked about before, is that you can naturally pass a miscarriage at home. Um and each of the options have different benefits. This is one of those things like you can all be informed and make different decisions. So some women would prefer to wait for things to pass naturally. And for some women, it's really difficult. Like they, the, the emotional component of continuing to be pregnant, so to speak, and not having passed it and wait and the waiting game is really mentally difficult for some women. And they, they would prefer to just do something that completes it. So then there's the medication that they can give them, which is misoprostol most of the time. Misoprostol most of the time, sometimes they can combine it with, uh, uh, what's called our, the, what's the drug is RU486 or mephisterone, but, mm-hmm. but that's hard to get in yeah. most countries. Yeah. So yeah. misoprostol, which is an oral medication, um, which will cause basically the same sensations as if you waited naturally. So you'll have discomfort, you'll have bleeding, your cervix actually has to dilate to be able to pass the tissue. So my assumption is the farther along you are, the more your cervix has to dilate. So, um, so it is like labor because your cervix is dilating and the bleeding is similar to a delivery as well. Um, and then there's a DNC, which is a surgical process where they give you anesthesia so that you are not really conscious of the 
um, you don't really go to sleep necessarily, but you're not really aware and conscious of what's happening. It depends on how it's done. If yeah. you done, if you do it in a surgery center or a hospital, they'll often put you to sleep. Mm -hmm. If you do it in the office, and, and again, we'll get into that yeah. shortly. Yeah. In the office setting, it's it's like quicker, uh, much less of a deal, much sort of less expensive. And they often will just give you some IV sedation or and local anesthesia right. to do it. Right. So the benefit of that is that it's pretty much kind of just handled. It's done in while you're it's, there. It's done and over, and the bleeding yeah. will stop within a couple of days. Right. Um, and however, it's, and it's ninety nine percent effective. Effective. Right? Yeah. So what he's talking about is that you know sometimes maybe tissues could be left behind and what and so you're saying that's kind of complete after that first mm -hmm. time um however the consent one of the considerations for that besides the anesthesia is that you're you are having an instrument pass into your through your cervix and into your uterus and could cause scarring so it's just something to kind of be aware of and be informed about before you make yeah decision. and there's a difference between suction dnc which is a little plastic thing mm -hmm. versus a sharp curatage as far as the risk of those things you talked about, even the risk of uterine perforation, which is right, very, right. very small. Right. And we'll get, we'll get to that too. Yeah. The first thing you talked about was waiting. Yeah. But let's, before we do that, let's just talk a little, a little bit about what it is. So, okay. um, a, it's a, it's a non-viable intrauterine pregnancy mm -hmm. is a, a early pregnancy loss. And either there's an empty gestational sac, as you discussed about. Which is also which, called a blighted ovum. Which is ovum. also called a blighted ovum. Mm -hmm. And that just means that the the fetal port of the of the conception never developed. So what why does that happen? No, no. But you know, think <laughs> about know. it. Yeah. Think about it. A sperm hits an egg. Yeah. Okay. And it makes one cell. Mm -hmm. And that one cell begins to divide. And somehow, through nature's miracle. Some of those cells will go on and develop into placenta and umbilical cord and chorionic membranes and am amniotic membranes and all that stuff. And the other part, all coming from one cell, goes off a tract and becomes a human being. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it works right so often is, is absolutely stunningly amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, that from one cell, you get, you know, you get brain tissue and toenails and you get mm -hmm. nose hairs and pancreas mm -hmm. and not only that but they all end up in the right place yes it is amazing it's a miracle <laughs> yeah, you have no pancreas hanging off of your nose just want you to know that no so it, it's really amazing so most of the time but sometimes the cells that become the embryo part there's a very early boo-boo or mistake made and those cells stop growing but the other cells don't know it yet and so they'll continue to grow and make placenta and make fluid around the, you know, make the sac, but there's nothing in it. Eventually, if you didn't go to the doctor, at some point you might, well, you will start to spot and bleed, but it might be at 10 weeks, 11 weeks, 12 weeks, 13 weeks, 14 weeks. And then you think to yourself, oh my God, I'm miscarrying at three months. Right. But you really aren't. Right. And if someone would have looked, they would have seen that you, had no at six weeks or seven weeks you had no fetus there yeah she said she it was eight weeks right and she was supposed to be 10 so right yeah but it, but it will it can stay in for a lot longer mm -hmm. now what normally happens in those cases is that it's eventually the body begins to figure it out yes that there's no fetus there and so what happens is the hormones that sort of make you feel pregnant the HCG level which can make you nauseous can make you know like your heart race a little bit and so and the and the other hormones that make your breasts tender mm -hmm. 
and so that stuff will go away and say you had nausea for the first six or seven weeks and then suddenly it's gone Mm -hmm. or your breasts are tender and you know they're not tender anymore but you haven't started spotting it that's not a good sign it doesn't mean there's anything necessarily wrong but it's not a good sign and it means that at some point someone should look Mm -hmm. to see what's going on inside it it happens more frequently that you would think what where people think they have symptoms and then they don't have symptoms but the pregnancy is viable but the pregnancy is fine yes yeah. mm-hmm. but it also is a sign that, that it may be. not be right mm-hmm. um spotting is also a sign that that it, it can be very normal in pregnancy maybe 20 30 percent of pregnancies will have what's called implantation bleeding or that's what we call it but it might be some other mechanism that's doing that and that doesn't mean anything um but it's certainly frightening when you really have this hope of having a baby and all this, mm-hmm. you see some blood it's it's so that's another reason to go in and get checked out but so you could have a you could have an empty sack you could have a embryo or a fetus without fetal heart activity and that and and to call it a early pregnancy loss or first trimester or miscarriage it's got to be within uh the first 12 weeks and six days which is most common oh yeah, yeah. by far mm-hmm. by far mm-hmm. yeah the once you i used to tell people that you have about a third of a chance of miscarrying. Mm-hmm. Once you see a heart beating mm-hmm. at six or six and a half weeks, five and a half, six weeks, the, ch- the chance of miscarriage falls to about five or six percent. Mm-hmm. Once you get to 10 weeks, it falls to like one or two percent. And beyond 10 weeks, then the, the risk is less than one percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the first trimester, the term miscarriage, spontaneous abortion, and early pregnancy loss are used interchangeably in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. When you get the second trimester, you're talking about things like fetal demise and other things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Early pregnancy loss is common. It says it occurs in 10% of all clinically recognized pregnancies. Mm-hmm. But that's because if you and I talk about it, if we did that study of the college women, it's probably about, about a third of all pregnancies that will miscarry. Approximately 80% of all pregnancy loss occur within the first trimester. All right. And approximately 50% of all cases of early pregnancy loss are due to fetal chromosomal abnormalities, mm-hmm. or what I earlier said is like a genetic boo-boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, slightly greater the older you get, because meiosis is age dependent, but the risk of 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 that causing a chromosomal anomaly just because you're 35 or 36 or 37. Is slightly increased, but the actual risk is still quite small. And by the way, it's really interesting. People think that Down syndrome um, is a, uh, you know, when you when you have a conception and you have a Down syndrome baby. Am I saying that correctly? A baby with. Okay, a baby with Down syndrome. Thank mm-hmm. you. Me correct that. Mm-hmm. Um, but over ninety five percent of conceptions that have trisomy twenty one in them will miscarry. Mm-hmm. So most what was this sick? Over 95%. Oh, okay. most most early chromosomal abnormalities that we screen for later on, mm-hmm. most of those will have miscarried. Mm-hmm. There's just some and why some go and when some don't, I, I no, I don't know. I have an answer to that. Okay. Um, but the rate of miscarriage does increase as you get older. Okay. And there are, you know, I don't I don't like the idea of saying risk of risk factors. Um because you are who you are. Mm-hmm. You can't necessarily, 
change. But, you know, things like drug abuse, smoking, you know, alcohol, those things do increase your risk. of doing. So there are things that you can do to get your body in the best shape possible. Absolutely. But even the bodies in the best shape possible are going to still go on and have miscarriage. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what findings can be used to confirm a diagnosis of early pregnancy loss? Um, well, before you decide how you're going to treat somebody who you think has miscarried, you've got to do one thing got to document that they have early pregnancy loss. Right. So um, you want to, you want to distinguish that from other early pregnancy complications like implantation bleeding mm -hmm. or twinning or losing a twin, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing that we use in this world right now is of course, ultrasonography. Right. right. Which I do have some concerns about. Yeah. But if it's available, it's the preferred uh, modality to, because it can, it can give you a definitive answer. Mm -hmm. You could be drawing blood tests up the wazoo. You could be drawing HCGs and progesterones and up the wazoo. You could wait to try to hear a heartbeat at 10 weeks or 12 weeks with a Doppler. Uh, you can't really do that with a fetoscope mm -hmm. that early. Mm -hmm. um, but in our world, at least here in California, I don't think that any woman who's spotting doesn't really want to know if things are okay or not. And the only really way to know that is to do an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. But if you do an ultrasound too early, like at five weeks, you might see nothing in the uterus. That doesn't mean that there's a non-viable pregnancy there. Right. That's why you really don't want to do an ultrasound until they're six and a half, seven weeks along. So that, because even if their dates are off a little bit, they have longer cycles. Remember, we talked about dating many mm -hmm. times before. Mm -hmm. You can't be sure. You just don't want to give someone a false diagnosis and say that, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to lose this pregnancy. And then a week later they come in and they're, there's a fetus there. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that doesn't, that's not, does not have a good look. So, however, if you are like, you know, I had a woman recently who had, um, three losses. Okay. Um, she had a pregnancy in 2020 then she had three losses. Um, and then the, her fourth pregnancy was with fifth pregnancy was with me um and she had another loss so when she when we couldn't hear um a heartbeat she wanted to wait she didn't want to go in and have yeah, an ultrasound that's her choice Perfect. yeah but i think that it's good to inform people too like what are the options if you do want to avoid that early ultrasound because if the pregnancy is maybe tentative and and we're not totally sure what happens with ultrasounds and you don't want to like add that in as another potential factor um what are the other things that you can do just wait yeah but you can do hcgs you can yeah you can you can run hcg levels which mm -hmm. will generally double every two to three days mm -hmm. and you can check a progesterone which you'd like to see you know above 16 18 20 uh in value is there some value to giving progesterone to a threatened miscarriage? The data on that is very, very mixed. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, is there harm in giving it? Mm -hmm. If it's natural progesterone, given it orally or vaginally, and there's not any good data to say there's any harm. So again, probably because of action bias, if a woman is threatening to miscarry or spotting, and they draw her history. or her history and they're drawing an H. Well, the history is different mm -hmm. and they're drawing an HCG level and it's 
where it should be at five weeks, but her progesterone is only six or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe nature has is doing that because there's something wrong and, and it's supposed to miscarry, but I don't think giving progesterone will cause a pregnancy that is supposed to miscarry to not miscarry. Right. So it won't do that, but could it possibly help a pregnancy that's struggling? Yes. So erring on the side of caution <laughs> <laughs> would mean that it's not wrong necessarily to give supplemental progesterone, but the science doesn't necessarily support that. And how is it different historic with history of miscarriages? Well, you said that's different. Yeah. Well, first of all, with the client that you're talking about, if you've had three, even if you've had a baby and then had three miscarriages in a row, it's time to look for something. That's what's, which is what they're doing now. Because just say, say the chance of miscarriage is, let's just say it's one in three. Uh-huh. Well, having a miscarriage, that one miscarriage is pretty common. Having two miscarriages, one out of every nine people mm-hmm. will have two. But three in a row is one out of every 27. Now you're talking like 3% or 4%. Right. So you're starting to look at maybe there's something going on that changed from, does she have a different husband? No. Does she have adhesions in her uterus? Does something change? Does she have a big polyp in her? I mean, so you're looking for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, okay. Um, And she did do progesterone this time acupuncture herbs and um yeah and and the carry-on herbs yeah and sometimes they'll even they'll do things like baby aspirin oh we did baby aspirin and they'll also (laughs) you know they'll also look for um uh antiphospholipid antibodies anti-cardiolipins and possibly put you on uh, what did you say (laughs) oh it's it's an autoimmune problem and they'll put they put you on uh um lovenox like uh heparin like blood thinner oh uh uh-huh right But again, that's not something you would immediately go to because you've had one miscarriage. Just right. want to say that. Right. Okay. So another another indication that the, that this is a non-viable pregnancy is where you have a crown rump length of at least five millimeters with no cardiac activity. Mm-hmm. So if you have a fetal pole and you have no cardiac activity and the fetal pole is over five millimeters, that's that's pretty much pathognomonic for that. Or an empty gestational sac, but between 16 and 20 millimeters without seeing a fetal pole, that's pretty unusual too. So Stu, I have a question for you. I'm shocked. What is it? (laughs) What is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control? Because so much is out of our control. Uh, Her nutrition? That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall and we need that a little bit more right now during this time. Yeah. Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently. And the people ask sometimes, well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product? And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind. So it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Support is intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men. That's right. We love the men. 
Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic. And they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I, I, I imagine that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> and the preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's men's fertility plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels, which, by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded. So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code birthinginstincts for 20% off your one-time order. That's right. Thanks, Needed. Let's see. A gestational sac was empty on initial scan, the absence of a visible yolk sac or embryo on a second scan formed seven days or more after the first scan was always associated with pregnancy loss. So in other words, if you have an empty sac, all right, and you haven't come back in a week and there's still just nothing, then that's 100% chance that there's no fetus there. Right. Okay? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that's, that's early because not like the woman that I was just talking about who was measuring eight weeks and was supposed to be 10 weeks. She doesn't need to go back for a follow-up. No, scan. no, yeah. no. You would see something by then. Correct. We're talking about early. Early, okay. right. Because again, a lot of people, at least in our world here, um, have early, you know, they they get early scans. Whether the benefit of the scan or, or, or the risk of the scan is not what we're debating. Mm-hmm. It's just something that they want. And mm-hmm. and, you, and uh, by waiting, if you, if you have the patience to wait, you're not changing anything. No. Right. Yeah. Nature will do what it's going to do. Right. You want to not. Right. And, Sometimes just the knowing is is peaceful because if you see that heart beating, that's the key. That, that's very reassuring. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's it, if that's important to you, you should do it. Unless, of course, you see the heart beating really slowly. We had that though. Remember, I talked to you about that, and then she ended up having a viable pregnancy. Right. It went down. It went from like one fifty to one ten. Oh, that's not really they... slowly. Really slowly is like sixty. Oh, one ten, I think. And yeah. they were like, "You're probably going to lose this baby," yeah. and then she didn't. No, no, one ten is still okay. Yeah. But I'm saying, if you see a heartbeat on a on a on a crown rump length that's like seven weeks pregnant, and the heart's beating at sixty beats a minute, that's almost inevitably going to be a fetal loss mm-hmm. okay yeah that makes sense all right did you know there was such a group <laughs> this group is called the society of radiologists in ultrasound multi-specialty panel on early first trimester diagnosis of miscarriage and exclusion of a viable intrauterine pregnancy that's the whole name of that's the name of the group <laughs> no i didn't either i just wanted to read that because i thought it was funny okay because they, they 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 quote them and they and they have all these measurements that they look and they say a crown rump length of seven millimeters without heartbeat, a mean sac diameter of 25. So they raised it up from 16 to 25 mm-hmm. because they wanted to go from like 97% predictive value to 100% predictive value. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absence of an embryo with heartbeat two weeks or more after a scan that showed a gestational sac without a yolk sac or absence of an embryo with a heartbeat 11 days or more after a scan that showed a gestational sac with a yolk sac. 
No way. People ask, what's a yolk sac? A yolk sac is an embryonic structure that's extra amniotic. So if, when you actually see a true fetus, in a, in a, and you'll see a fetus in, a, in the amnion, and the amnion and the chorion are separated till about 14 weeks or 15 weeks, at which point they fuse into one bag of waters. But early on, they're separated. And there's a space between the amnion and the chorion. And in that space is sometimes a little white circle called a yolk sac. A yolk sac of about four millimeters or, or less, four or five millimeters, is considered a normal yolk sac. It's another sign. When you see a yolk sac that's like seven millimeters or eight millimeters, it's not a good sign either. Hmm. Okay. Not a definitive sign, mm -hmm. but it's it's a sign that things maybe aren't going to end up well. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on. Um, okay. Criteria that are considered suggestive but not diagnostic is that thing I talked about, a slow fetal heart rate mm -hmm. of less than 100 per minute at five to seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's that. And then... Um, in cases in which the intrauterine gestation cannot be identified with reasonable certainty, serial serum beta HCG measurements and ultrasound examinations may be required to rule out the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. And what? And again, can you review what you would see with an ectopic? Nothing in the uterus usually, right. or sometimes you'll see what's called a pseudo sac. Mm -hmm. I love saying that word, <laughs> pseudo. That's S P S U E U D O. <laughs> pseudo pseudo sac it means that just a little bit of blood in the uterus but it really does look different than a gestational sac right right but, but if you're with just, the hcg what would you see with the oh you might see hcgs rising mm -hmm. um but once you see an hcg over about 1500 and again these numbers you know my even number rule i don't like that but if once you see an hcg over about 1500 you should see a sac in the uterus. Okay. So if you have an HCG level that comes back at 2,738, <laughs> see, because I don't want even numbers, mm -hmm. um, and you see nothing in the uterus, that's pretty likely that you have an ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, got it. All right. But we did a podcast, I think, on ectopic pregnancy once before. We did. So I'm not going there. No. Okay. What are the management options for early pregnancy loss? Well, you have expected management medical treatment or surgical evaluation, just like my brilliant sidekick mentioned 15 minutes ago. I just use normal terms. I know. <laughs> um, by the way, there is no evidence that any of these approaches results in different long-term outcomes. Right. So complications or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so this expected management is successful in achieving complete expulsion. There's that word in approximately 80% of women. I quote 80, 85%. And I quote 15% will have either a miss miscarriage, which means that the tissue never comes out or eventually hasn't come out in a long time, or they'll have what's called an incomplete miscarriage, mm -hmm. where they'll be bleeding and they'll be bleeding heavily, but not, not everything comes out and they'll need what's called a completion DNC. Okay. Um, let's see. Medical management for early pregnancy loss can be considered in women without infection, hemorrhage, severe anemia, or bleeding disorders who want to shorten the time to complete the expulsion, but prefer to avoid a surgical evacuation. Compared with expected management, medical management of early pregnancy loss decreases the time to expulsion and increases the rate of complete expulsion without the need for surgical uh, intervention. Okay, So um, these are based on mesoprostol based regimens. 
And we don't have to get into the, the details. If you have questions about that, you can write in or you can talk to your practitioner about how it's done. Um, but usually it's an 800 milligram dose and it's either done orally or vaginally. And um, I'll, that's all I'll say about that. I think, But I think the thing to remember is that you will have pain and bleeding. Oh, you'll have cramping. And pain medicine more than should be cramping. offered. Mm -hmm. And usually when you have a medical uh, intervention, you'll usually have completion of uh, in like less than three days of the miscarriage. Okay. In over 70%. Some will linger longer. And as I said, some will have still have an incomplete miscarriage. Um, whereas when you have a spontaneous miscarriage, you could have it in six hours or it could go on for two weeks. Right. Right. With spotting and stuff, you mean? Spotting or bleeding yeah. and cramping and that sort of thing. So eventually, if it's going on for a long period of time, you're at risk of losing a lot more blood and becoming anemic. And so if, if it doesn't seem right, if it seems like it's dragging on or if the cramping is really severe, that's when you should see your practitioner. I mean, it will be really severe. The cramping. In, in most. When you pass the tissue, there's a peak. I think it's good for women to know this because otherwise they think that something's wrong. There will be a peak as you pass the tissue. That's when most of the bleeding will happen and then it'll slow down. You'll see some tissue. Um, you may or may not. You may not be able to differentiate the tissue from clot. Most women can. Okay. Yeah. But, but some of it just ends up in the toilet because true. you're not, you're just. That's true. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more in a few minutes about what what's normal and when you should go in and get an assessed. Right. But, but, but some women will have miscarriages just like some women have labor that, that, you know, happens relatively easily. That's great. But I think women should be prepared <laughs> <laughs> that it, that it usually, right. it, because I think that's what this woman was saying. Like in the beginning, the story I read is that I think a lot of women don't know what a normal miscarriage is actually like in terms of pain and bleeding. And then they feel like something's wrong. Right. So, yeah. And in a, in a um, if you have access to Mephisto, uh, I can't say it right, Mephipristone, I think I said it wrong earlier, that's drug that usually used to be called RE486. Um, if you give that orally 24 hours before you take the mesoprostol, it's actually more, uh, it's much more, it's more effective in, in getting a completed miscarriage. Okay. But most people don't have access to that. You medication. said pain medication should be offered. So what, what is usually given with? that um what does that mean? usually non-steroidal medication something like toradol or advil okay. or motrin those sorts of things i mean we used to sometimes we, again everybody's more reluctant to prescribe them now but we used to give tylenol with codeine or vicodin mm -hmm. to somebody that was going to go through that mm -hmm. uh, i just think that doctors are so scared to write a prescription for that now because they're afraid they're going to be you know monitored by somebody in government that they that they just don't want to even deal with it anymore mm -hmm. right Right. Um, another thing, if you miscarry very, very early, this may not apply to you, although I think medicine would still want you to do it. But if you're RH negative and your partner's RH positive, then people believe that if you're miscarrying in the middle or late first trimester, that uh, Rogam should be given. All right. All right. And then what we say to people who after they miscarry is... We want you to have a negative pregnancy test, but we tell you not to do it too soon 
because if you do it with, with four, five, six days later, it might still be positive and that could be confusing. So wait, as long as you're not bleeding heavily and the bleeding is tapered off and everything's fine, you want to make sure you have a negative pregnancy test two weeks out. Okay. So that means that all the products of conception are, are gone. Okay. And no chance that there's a molar pregnancy or something else that was weird that was going on. There. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. What else is in here? Um, a Cochrane review of limited evidence concluded that among women with incomplete pregnancy loss, the addition of mesoprostol dose does not clearly result in higher rates of complete evacuation when compared with expect expectant management. So when a woman is halfway through miscarriage, if they give, if you give mesoprostol, it doesn't necessarily make it any better at that point. You either give it ahead of time to manage it or let the miscarriage continue on its own. Um, all right, let's see. What else is here? Uh, a woman should understand how much bleeding is considered too much. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? I wanted, I wanted to hear what you had to say. Well, here's what they said here. An easy reference for the patient to use is the soaking of two pa maxi pads per hour for two consecutive hours. Two. Okay. So, yeah, I, I used to say like soaking a pad every 30 minutes. Okay. Is, is more than you should be experiencing if it goes on for more than like a couple of hours. So that actually is pretty much what I used to say. Okay. I said it differently, but wow. ACOG, I agree with them. I was so, I, <laughs> I was saying soaking Mark one, the day. one pad in less than an hour, which is what we tell people postpartum. But you're saying two pads. Yeah, I'm saying uh, uh, you're soaking a pad every half hour. So yeah. the, those mouth words just seem to roll out of my mouth. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure that that's what I used to say. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but that's that's too much bleeding. Yes. And that doesn't mean you necessarily need to come in or be seen, but it needs probably should check in with your practitioner yes. at that point to find out. I mean, I don't think there's much that a midwife could do at that point. So if if it was bleeding that much, then we would probably send them in. Yeah, you might ask them how they're feeling, whatever else you might say. Why don't you lie down for a little bit? Let's see how it is in an hour or two. Because mm -hmm. obviously we all we want, we all, we want to keep people out of the ER. Mm -hmm. We just do. All right. And then you have, and then it gets you to surgical management. Mm -hmm. Okay. Women who present with hemorrhage, hemodynamic instability, or signs of infection should be treated urgently with surgical ev evacuation. Can you explain hemodynamic instability to our listeners? Yeah. They're, they're tachycardic or hypotensive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it means their heart rate is really rapid mm -hmm. or their blood pressure is low. Which uh, means they would feel faint. Feel, feel faint, feel yeah. dizzy, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Signs of infection would obviously the only way they'd have signs of infection would be chills or fever. Immediately, Pretty, you mean? Because you would have ten. Because sometimes you can have, a, you know, sometimes there's such thing like a septic miscarriage. Uh -huh. Very rare. I don't think I've seen one uh, in in any memory in any recent memory of years. But yes, and obviously, if someone you think has a septic infection and you're going to do a DNC on them to get rid of it, then they should be on parenteral antibiotics, which means IV antibiotics, mm -hmm. not oral, mm -hmm. but IV antibiotics because you want to get the tissue levels high enough. Mm -hmm. So that would be something that would need to be done at a surgery center Definitely. or a hospital. Yeah. Right. Now, it says here, many women prefer surgical evacuation to expectant medical treatment because it provides more immediate complete completion of the process with less follow-up. Right. Now, in my office, when I used to have women come in with either a blighted ovum 
or a threatened miscarriage, we would go through all three of these options. Mm -hmm. And in the later years, because of the population that we took care of, almost every one of them just said, I want to wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. But in my earlier years, when I was more medicalized physician, I would tell them that, you know, you can wait and here's what's going to happen. Sometime in the next week or two, you're going to start to bleed. You're going to start to cramp. Um, probably over the next six to 12 hours, you'll pass everything and you'll be fine. About 15% of women will have what's called an incomplete miscarriage. You'll be hemorrhaging a lot and you'll come and, and get an emergency DNC. And sometimes that can be at two o'clock in the morning in an ER with a stranger, right? That's one thing. Or um, you can go home and think about that. But if you decide that you want to just have this over with, we offered that in our office under, under local sedation um, and local anesthesia literally takes 30 seconds to do it. The risks are extremely small. Um, there is a risk, obviously, anytime you an instrument someone's uterus, you can cause an infection. You could call, poke a hole in the uterus. It's called uterine perforation, but it's really hard to do with a plastic uh, suction curette. And knowing, doing a pelvic exam, knowing the woman's uterus is tipped forward, tipped backwards, which way to go. And, you know, your, your doctor, generally, most doctors are pretty good at this because they've done a lot of them in their, that's something in their training they do get. They don't get breach delivery, but they get decency. Mm -hmm. So they get pretty, pretty good at it. Um, and someone would choose that. That makes sense. Jimmy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. It's partly because they, they want it over with because they don't want it to drag on, but they also want to get on with their life. They've got things to do next week, or they've got, they want to try to get pregnant right away again. They don't want to waste Time. so that's one of the choices that they'll make yeah and i've i've had women say things like i don't it's really hard for me to think about walking around with my baby dead inside of me yeah it's hard to think and even about, if, but, and by the way you know? this is an important point to make you, you brought it up earlier even if it's a blighted ovum mm -hmm. and there is no fetus mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's maybe comforting maybe, maybe it's paternalistic but i used to tell people i just want you to know that there's no fetus here mm -hmm. Okay, you didn't, you know, and maybe again, I said maybe you didn't really lose a baby. When you have a fetal demise where you had a fetal pole and a heartbeat, that's a loss. And to to not take it significantly right. as a practitioner, because I know from just talking to people and my own experience, when when I found out that we were pregnant or whatever, I mean, all right. Kids, kids riding a tricycle, kids going little league, kids doing all. I mean, I already got. I'm mean, planning all these things mm -hmm, out, mm -hmm. and then if you end up with a miscarriage, it's a loss, and yes. you need to grieve. Yeah, appropriately. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you can on, probably talk more about that. Well, on that, um, on that note, and this may be a little uncomfortable for some people, but I'm gonna. I, I always want to say it because I don't want someone to think later on. Gosh, I wish I had done something different. So some women do like to have the, what we call the products of conception or the tissue that passes or the embryo. Um, they do want to collect that and be able to honor that baby in some way, which might mean um, burying it or, you know, something like that with, with a little bit of ceremony around that, just honoring the pregnancy in that kind of way. And the mom that I was talking about recently I wanted to add this in because this was something that I had never known about before. And I was talking to Lindsay Milas about it, but you can order um, a test called uh, through Natera. They call it actually a products of conception test, and they can use that tissue 
you send it in and, you know, you can just take a part of it, like mm-hmm. of the placenta, which is what we had, um, or all of the tissue and, um, send it in and they can look at and be able to decipher if there was, um, any oh, kind sure. of genetic abnormality, um, and so that was something that felt really important to this family. And it was really sweet because she came in and we talked about it. Um, she asked me to take a picture of the tissue in her hands before we sent it off. You know, it was just really very a very sweet and honoring process for them to be able to get more information about that and um, and have it be something that wasn't so clinical. You know, it was like, done in a more sacred way yeah it's very nice um you may find that when you go to a place where they do a dnc that they say oh state law says we have to send the tissue Mm -hmm. to the laboratory that is not completely honest Mm -hmm. what they can always do is they can look at the what we I hate the term, but well, it's cruel to products of conception. I know it's hard. To yeah. Say. <laughs> it's hard for me to get that. Yeah, yeah. But it's a medical. And thing. you can look at it and you can float it in a little bit of water mm-hmm. and you can actually see the part that's just blood and clot. And you can see the part that's membrane and you can see the part that was placenta. Most often on an early miscarriage, especially if there's blighted ovum, there is no fetus there. You're not going to see a, right. a, a, a tiny little curled up fetus, Right. but you can see the, the poofy tissue, which is the, the, the chorionic villi, the placenta, and you can take part of that mm-hmm. and satisfy the state law because the state law is to prove that you got tissue that was related to pregnancy, so you can rule out ectopic pregnancy and and people weren't doing decencies for no reason or anything like that. It's mm. and part of it is to for pathologists to make money in the state of California. Yeah, they, it seems they, odd that there would be a law, but oh yeah, no, no, they lobbied they lobbied Sacramento to get a law that says that all tissue removed from your body needs to be sent to a pathologist before it can be destroyed. But that doesn't mean you can't take most of it home. It's just more work for the team at the hospital or the, or the clinic where you're having it done, but make them do the work. There's no reason. I like that you talked about that because I didn't know that that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the hospital that says we have to take your placenta and send a pathologist. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. But state law does say that when you do a procedure on someone where you do a biopsy or you take some tissue out, it has to go to a pathologist. But it doesn't mean all of it has to go to a pathologist. It means they... Similar to your placenta, by the way, in the hospital. In what way? They they, they can they, take a portion of it if they need to do If pathology. there's a law that says they have to do pathology. But mm-hmm. I don't think there's much... I don't think most states have a law on that. No, that's just the hospital policy. Yeah, because then they can bill for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor for Fit. <laughs> They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member as our friend Lindsay ha- had her baby. So congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs. You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really amazing. So the BirthFit Basics is a prenatal program is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. 
So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands, and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um, taking my suggestion. She's like, you know, just laying in bed, nursing all day. I'm feeling a little sore. You know, any stretches? And I said, you should really try this lying in program that they have. It's great for postpartum. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises, visualization, and belly massages. I mean, come on, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And then yeah. And then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which requ requires no um, equipment. So that focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. Yeah, the birthfit community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com and use the code INSTINCTS1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program. Or go to birthfit.com, use the code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basics postpartum program. We love BirthFit. It's OB and midwife approved. Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great. And she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth. So check it out. All right. So, um, it says here, studies show that the use of suction curatage is superior to the use of sharp curatage. I mentioned that earlier. So there's because no, less damage. Yeah, less damage. Mm -hmm. And and covers more area. It's just, you know, it's it's clean. It's it's like, <laughs> it's a bad term. It's like a vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're if you're if you're picking up crumbs off the floor, it's a lot easier to just use a vacuum cleaner than it is to use a whisk broom or yeah. something else. Okay, never mind. Bad analogy. No, no. I, I um, the success of surgical uterine evacuation of early pregnancy loss approaches 99%. I think I said that earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, overall, serious complications after early pregnancy loss treatment are rare and are comparable across all treatment types. Okay. So the three treatment types we talked mm -hmm. about. Clinically important interuterine adhesion formation is a rare complication after surgical evacuation. And certainly more so, I believe, after sharp curatage than with suction curatage. Um, rates of hemorrhage-related hospitalization with or without transfusion are similar between all treatment approaches. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, there's increased blood loss with expectant management over surgical management. Because they suck it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's over. Mm -hmm. Right. But... Neither one of them, neither one of those leads to the likelihood that you're going to need to be hospitalized for blood loss or transfusion. Mm -hmm. You're just going to lose more blood with a spontaneous miscarriage than you are with a DNC for miscarriage. Okay. Infection rates appear lower among those undergoing expectant management than among those undergoing surgical treatment, but the overall rates were, were less than one or 2% anyway. Okay. So that's probably not a concern. It was never a concern. A lot of doctors who do 
uh, D's and C's for uh, for miscarriage. We'll often prep them ahead of time with oral doxycycline. It's an antibiotic. I started out doing that in my in my office years ago, and then I realized that you know what, don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the use of antibiotics based only on the diagnosis of incomplete early pregnancy loss has not been found to reduce infectious complications as long as unsafe induced abortion is not su suspected. So in other words, back alley mm -hmm. type stuff. Right. The benefit of antibiotic prophylaxis for the medical management of early pregnancy loss is unknown. So in my mind, that tells you that the blanket use of antibiotics that some hospitals or doctor's offices use for this is, is not scientific, it's unnecessary, okay? Okay. All right, so let's see, wait, what else is on here? There is no quality data to support delaying conception after early pregnancy loss to prevent subsequent early pregnancy loss or other pregnancy complications. Small observational studies showed no benefit to delay conception. So. Doctors who tell you don't go swimming for an hour after eating. <laughs> no, they say you've got to wait three months to get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. That's crap. Your body will know. Your body won't ovulate till it's ready. And your uterine lining can repair itself in two weeks. Mm -hmm. We know that because it does it every month mm -hmm. on its own. Yeah. It goes from menses to lush lining in two weeks. Yeah. Hoping to accept a new fertilized egg. Right. right. So trust nature on that don't wait for an hour after <laughs> to go swimming okay um well, that talks a little bit about rogan which we mentioned mm -hmm. uh, the risks are low but especially early on or especially with a blighted ovum some people are going to choose to avoid that especially now because they're not sure rogan is rogan is not being screened for spike protein so mm -hmm. but the, you, there's always a potential risk when you're an rh negative mom and you have an rh positive uh dad that you could get sensitized but the amount of blood it takes to sensitize a person probably doesn't exist in a seven-week fetus mm -hmm. or blighted ovum it just isn't right right okay uh what type of workup is needed after early pregnancy loss none really yeah no <laughs> I mean, you could no, no that's you're so smart yeah no workup generally is recommended until after a second or third consecutive clinical early pregnancy loss maternal or fetal chromosomal analysis or testing for inherited thrombophilias are not recommended routinely after one pregnancy loss mm -hmm. although thrombophilias commonly are thought of as a cause of early pregnancy loss only antiphospholipid syndrome consistently has been shown to be significantly associated with early pregnancy loss. So not MTFHR, um, not anti-cardiolite, well, that's an antiphospholipid anyway, but not other sort of autoimmune dis uh, thrombophilias are related to it. So again, if you have one miscarriage, we talked early on how common that is. Right. Right. So it doesn't deserve a workup. And even two, if you think about it, is one out of every nine or 10 People, 10% is not rare. Right. I mean, we talk about 3 to 4% of term pregnancies being breached, and we tell you, that's not rare. <laughs> so we can't say that's rare either. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see what how many pages I got left here. <laughs> well, this is the last page, I think, okay. or last couple pages. Um, there are no effective interventions to prevent early pregnancy loss. So the idea of taking a baby aspirin, taking Lovenox, 
Uh, what were the other things you talked about? Um, progesterone and herbs. Yeah. And acupuncture. Yeah. So not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And then a 2008 Cochrane review found no effect of prophylactic progesterone administration, oral, intramuscular, or vaginal, in the prevention of early pregnancy loss. For threatened early pregnancy loss, the use of progestins is controversial and conclusive evidence supporting their use is lacking. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. Right. Women who have experienced at least three prior pregnancy losses, however, may benefit from progesterone therapy in the first trimester, according to the Cochrane Review. So again, is there harm giving it? Probably not. Is there a placebo effect from it? Maybe. Um, is it done a lot more than it's necessary? Yes, probably because of action bias. Mm -hmm. We feel as physicians, we want to do something because we feel bad. Yeah. And people often want us to do something. So we do something, even if that something isn't scientifically based. Yeah. Okay. And that that's it. So then they go over the 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 quality of evidence, but we've already talked about most of it. So we don't really have to do that. Okay. Okay. So as a provider, um, I would say we've mentioned this before, but since we're having the, the whole topic about miscarriage, if you do have a client who can't, who is coming into your care pregnant and has had previous miscarriages to take a moment to ask them if they have any feelings about those pregnancy losses they want to talk about that or process that before you just move on to this pregnancy because I think that that's really important because people do yeah when I took a history early on I probably didn't yeah I would just say well how many times you've been pregnant and they say three and how many babies do you have one and you move and, on and I move on yeah but now I mean not now but in the yeah. last 20 years I would always say so can you tell me about your other two pregnancies mm -hmm. and say yeah I had abortion when I was 17 mm -hmm. you know and then i and then we had a miscarriage last year and i say well you know how did that go and tell me about that and how far along were you and and that sort of thing and mm -hmm. did you have a dnc or did you have it did spontaneous or how did what was because you want to know those sorts of things mm -hmm. and then you know how and you can and then again because we have time in our model which the medical doctors don't usually have time you can ask them well, how did you feel about that how did you know you know, are you still dealing with that? Anything you can come up with these sorts of things, these questions that are that are important. Not only are they important for the information they provide, but it's important because then the woman begins to see that this person really cares about me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's getting to know them and honoring that for them. Some people may have nothing around it and some people it might there might be a lot around it. And then, you know, what also ends up happening like let's say they had a loss that was very significant to them at nine weeks um they may have a lot of anxiety getting up to that point where they had the loss last time so just being aware of that and checking in with them those things make a, a big difference to people and in terms of people who come into your care similar to what the story i was telling in the beginning i had this woman who came into my care and then almost immediately the next day she um she had you know, this ultrasound that confirmed that it was a blighted ovum, you know, just following up with her, checking in on her, seeing if there's anything that you can do to support her. Because I think a lot of times those people are just in the middle of, they don't really have care yet. So just taking a moment to send a message and just check in and say, I just want, I was thinking about you and wanted to see how you were doing can make a world of difference to someone. So I just wanted to say that.
That's why you're you. And that's why I'm me. I'm me because I, of you. Ditto. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. That's, that's very kind of you. So I think, you know, I mean, there's probably stuff that we didn't talk about. And then people will write into us and we'll, we'll cover it like we did Tamiflu. You know, we'll, <laughs> we'll be reminded of what we forgot to talk about. Yeah, we do our best. Yes. Especially with no vision. <laughs> we do our best yeah okay, uh, okay well let's go and have a fun day shall we go have a fun day yeah. what are we doing today we're gonna um go have some lunch maybe take a walk and then we're getting new pictures done today which i'm thrilled about yeah and then I'm i thought i thought maybe i would stay over in santa barbara but i'm thinking i i because i've got just a day to get back home and then turn around and go back to new york oh that i might you might book it. i might as far as I can get tonight. Okay. I'm not great at driving it in the dark anymore because mm -hmm. of that stupid eyeball filled with oil. Damn it. It is pretty. <laughs> it <makes> <laughs> but, but it's hard it's hard it's hard to see what bright lights are really annoying. Yeah. Annoying to me. Okay. Anyway, that's personal stuff. You guys don't need to know that. Oh, because you're all you know everything about us anyway. <laughs> well, not um, so uh once again, please uh write a review, give us five stars, and also Support our sponsors because they, well, they don't make the show possible, but they make it easier for <laughs> they make it they make it easier for us to put on the show every week. Mm -hmm. And Bliss, you want to tell them a little bit about the maybe the the other project, the store, and all that other stuff that's going on? Yeah. Well, now that this came out, it's been up, but we have um, launched our merch, which is so fun. We've got some cool swags and bags and t-shirts and sweatshirts with with. Lots of great slogans. By the way, I like you, the sweatshirts. I do too. Yeah. By the way, if you um if you guys have uh ideas of of products that you would like for us to to oh, put yeah. out, please send us ideas. We would love that. Um, and then also we're going to be doing another. I hope you remember the date. Um, we're we're doing another one of our no. <laughs> it's in January. <laughs> we'll 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 remind you. Don't worry. Yeah. Sign up for um. For updates, go on to Birthing Instincts podcast, put your email in there, and uh, you'll be kept abreast of all of the new things that are coming forward. So, And they find the swag store at birthinginstinctspodcast.com? They so, do. Right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So you, can write it, you can write us there. And again, share our podcast. And everybody have a great, well, let's see. Well, this might be the last one before Christmas. So if we don't have another one. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Yes, that too. <laughs> You're always so correct. Uh, all right. So until then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 